In the following live session recording, Debbie Ackerman, President-Elect of the National Baptist Nursing Fellowship, leads the session entitled, Involving Medical Professionals in Missions. Medical professionals have specialized skills that can be used in many different mission settings, as well as on-mission teams that are not necessarily designated medical missions. The listener will discover how to involve medical professionals in your missions initiatives. Let's join Debbie now. Luke 12:35. I love this verse. It says, "Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning." Doesn't that apply to missionaries? I mean, to well, to missionaries, but to nurses because we have to stay in the garb, you know, to be identified in most of the places that we serve. We are either wearing scrubs or we have a lab coat on. Um, we have our so many of these that we wear in all the places that we serve. And Florence Nightingale is named the woman with the lamp. And I don't know about you, but when I graduated, I got one of these little lamps, you know, it was china and the little candle. Did you all keep those? Did you all get those? Uh, We do a blessing of the hands at Charleston Southern, and they get really nice lamps. I thought mine was nice. Theirs is ornate. It's about this big, you know, and it's really, it's like a real lamp. I think that's beautiful. But this verse, I think, is most appropriate for our conference today because the light of Christ is what we can take to our patients in a very select way. So you're all nurses, and you're all in varied kind of backgrounds. Let's, let's just talk about where we are serving in nursing. So could we start over here with you? Okay. Um, I'm a retired nurse, uh-huh. but uh, when I was working... I was in the uh, OR with the surgeon, and I worked mm-hmm. with him for 30 plus years, and then mm-hmm. I also work in ICU and CCU. Very good. Oh, my. OR nursing. Yes, I did that for a couple of years until I got pregnant and fainted and fell in the wrong direction. And they said, we're going to put you in recovery room. They didn't. I thought they meant for an hour, but they meant for, <laughs> for the whole pregnancy. And where are you? Um, Ruth Smith. Um, um, I'm just recently retired, background's oncology, but mm. I ended in teaching at BSN program. Okay, good. All right. Um, I'm Tanya Jewell, and um, I currently teach um, ASN at South Georgia State College. Um, mm-hmm. Background, I have kind of a variety of background, but predominantly women's health and OB, labor mm-hmm. delivery, so good. it's my wheelhouse. But. All right. I'm Emily Crowder. Um, I knew in... I was 16 years old that I wanted to be a pediatric nurse, no. and I've done it for 15 years. Uh, I wouldn't do anybody else. <laughs> yeah, I love those little ones. Okay. Um, I'm Kelly Hall. I'm currently um, in school from a family nurse practitioner, but um, before I was working full time, I was in ER and labor and delivery. Uh, okay. Yeah, I left the recovery room, went to labor and delivery. It just seemed to follow the progression of our child. After that, it was pediatrics. Then I went to family practice. (laughs) Sheila Anderson, and um, I worked 14 and a half years as a plant nurse. Mm. And then they closed the plant down, and now I'm working as the nurse at a family practice. Okay, that's my 
my favorite was the family practice. I just love that, taking care of the whole family. We even did labor and delivery in the first 10 years of our practice. I was there 25 years with them. We started with two doctors and myself and another nurse. The nurse left. They hired another doctor. I started hiring nurses, and it just blossomed until the Lord said, I want to move you south. And you can retire and do medical missions. And what a joy that was. And I have a story that I'll tell in a little bit about that. So we have you all going in different places. The Appalachian Mountains, to Charleston, to Haiti, to Ecuador, to Peru, to Oman, to Romania, and to Zambia. Isn't that exciting to go? Isn't it eye-opening to see how little they have in the medical realm? To see that the, uh, the diseases are all different, aren't they? Some of them are the same, but mostly there's different things that you're encountering. We're going to talk about that in relationship to mission teams. So my working title for this session, I borrowed from the great William Shakespeare. To be or not to be? That's the question for us. Because as missional Christians, we want to be ready and able to recognize opportunities to meet physical needs that are best met by nurses and other allied healthcare professionals. And we want to be ready and able to integrate our church's Christian medical providers in medical teams. Every team going out should have some sense of we need to be able to respond to the medical needs, even if their primary focus is something else like construction, because we know what happens on those teams, right? And prayer walking. There's always a place for a medical person to be there. And also to help our nurses be ready and able to share the gospel. That's our whole purpose for going. It is not just the physical needs. We're there for the spiritual needs. And we know if we go for some place a week, are we going to cure somebody? Probably not. We are probably there to begin that process, and hopefully it can continue. But my experience doing rural international healthcare missions is that we're just a Band-Aid, really, on the things that are going on. Not always, but sharing the gospel is the most important piece. That when I moved to Myrtle Beach and God had promised that there would be medical missions in my future, I was sort of bugging people at my church saying, do you ever do any medical missions? You know, I'm a nurse. And they would say, no, we don't do that. Okay. So the first team that was developed at our church was a general team to go into the Appalachian Mountains in Kentucky, and they were going to do some construction and prayer walking. Those were the two focuses, and do uh, children's things. And so I said to the team leader, who was a friend of mine in choir, I said, um, don't you think we could do a medical component to this? I'd be glad to head that up. And she said, I'll call and ask. That's a great idea. So she called, and they said, no, we don't need that. And she said, nope, they don't need that. And I thought, okay. Apparently they have a big medical thing twice a year through um, a ministry out of Louisville. And they come in and set up with all kinds of different booths for people to go in like a medical fair. And they treat hundreds of people during that time. So I could understand that two weeks later they don't need to try to do it again. So I got a hold of myself and said, well, Lord, I know that you're in charge. I'll just go. So they asked me if I would um, coordinate the prayer walking, and I love that. 
I love to be able to go and see what God, where God is at work and pray for the names on mailboxes and all the different places. And so I made up a handout and we had a training the first morning we were there that we were going to go out and prayer walk and we prayed for each team as they went out, the construction team and the children's team. And as we were praying for our team to go prayer walking, this woman runs into the room and says, I need a nurse right away. Well, you know how we all respond to that. The adrenaline starts pumping. You're just sure there's someone on the floor somewhere, aren't you? And so, you know, they all look at me as I'm backing up my chair, and I said, what do you need? And she said, I need a nurse for a dental clinic. The dentist couldn't come two weeks ago, and he came because God spoke to him and his team, and they said, we'll provide the nurse. I'll provide the nurse, God said to them. And she said, I just knew there would be one somewhere. So I did that for the whole week. I touched more lives in that week than anyone on the construction team or the children's team because I had to talk to everyone coming to the dental clinic. And there were some that couldn't have their teeth pulled and those sort of things. And I learned firsthand about the culture there in these three mining towns that time really has forgotten. Everyone lives below the poverty level. One woman came with her children and she said, I brought them here because I don't want them to grow up like me, toothless at 30. How sad for that mom. So you see, God has a place always. And the nurses, we just need to be ready with our, 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 our lamps lit, don't we? So as you think about involving nurses and other allied healthcare professionals, what medical services do you think that nurses can provide on a team in any setting? Can you think about things that we can do? Construction teams, prayer walking teams, um, backyard Bible club teams, health uh, food distribution or um, clothes closets that you go and you do. Can you think of things nurses can do? Because I want to write something down. What would be those things? We can always do blood pressure checks. Blood pressure checks, absolutely. No one ever turns you away for that. What else? All the health instructions that, that mm -hmm. goes with it. Mm -hmm. So we can do some teaching in whatever we're doing because you know a lot of them don't know. And there they are with their blue pill and their yellow pill. And what does this do and what does that do? Okay. Anything else we can do? Sometimes just basic first aid is needed. First aid, yes. In all of those, People someone stubs their toe and their toenails hanging off, you know, and they look to you, right? And you know, those Walmart kits really are good for nothing, aren't they? Have you ever looked at the splinter force up in there? It wouldn't take anything out, right? What else can we do? Okay, well that's a good start. I'm going to talk about about a dozen other things as we get to that. So if we look at some of these sticky notes here, in Georgia, what was it again you did in Appalachia? My church takes the, a college team and they actually minister to those that are going on the Appalachian Trail. Mm -hmm. um, and they'll usually like cook them hamburgers mm -hmm. and, and then just minister to them. Okay. So those college students who take all kinds of risks, should a nurse be alone? <laughs> yeah, to bandage the wounds and to tell them tomorrow you need sunscreen, a number 50, because now they're burnt to a crisp. <laughs> yep. 
Yeah, our chapter BNF does does the um, the coll collegiate spring breaks construction teams in our area. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, medical missions in Haiti. What did you do in Haiti? We actually had took a medical team mm -hmm. from our from the nursing school. We took our nursing students. And oh, good. We did um, triage and mm -hmm. um, we had makeshift pharmacy and mm -hmm. um, just whatever came up mm -hmm. through that time the villagers were Sure, coming. you had to be prepared for everything. everything. Mm -hmm. and it was amazing to me to see people walking around with blood pressures of like 280 over 130. Mm -hmm. and they were fine, They, you know, they grow up that way. Mm -hmm. You can't treat their blood pressure. Like no, you can't. Either. That's why I said blood pressure just because, you know, I remember seeing these folks and, but then you only give them a month of medicine. And who's going to follow up with them? That's the hard part. And that's the heartbreaking part. And you hope part. there's another team that comes. That's right. And to tell them, be sure you go back. All right, Charleston, building homes. <clears throat> yeah, I did. That was a while back. I did that when I was in youth and in high school. But yeah, that was. And nobody wasn't medical related. And nobody hurt themselves, huh? Um. I really can't remember. I'm sure some kid, one of us did. <laughs> yeah, you see the, the, you know, the thumb under the hammer, and then there's the step on the nail, and all of those things. <laughs> all right, Peru, Appalachian, Ecuador, Haiti, who has done that with their church? I haven't actually done I've never been on a mission trip, but okay. my boys, both my boys oh, have, okay. and, um, and my oldest is actually in college to be a missionary, so. Oh, um, but the funny thing is um, the youth have mm -hmm. been, our church is really big on missions, and then mm -hmm. they do try to do an out-of-country mission trip mm -hmm. every, you know, if, mm -hmm. not every year, every other year. Um, but the thing about Ecuador this year, or I mean Peru this year, is my youngest son went, and of course our daughter's very good about always giving, of course the, you know, Malaron mm -hmm. or uh, malaria, but he'll always also give them give him some Zofran to have on and some antibiotic in case mm -hmm. he gets diarrhea. Well, he developed diarrhea mm -hmm. um, and he had called me and told me and so happened one of the women on the team, she was a pharmacist, mm -hmm. um, you know, of course he was wanting to know mom's opinion because mom's a nurse. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> you know, but it was, you know, but thankfully, you know, she was there too to kind of cause one of the other kids mm -hmm. to develop some diarrhea too. Well, our children go well prepared on these, but other children mm -hmm. don't. Mm -hmm. And I get calls from parents who will say, my kid needs to go to Peru, what do I need to get him? And, I, and we can tell them, can't we? We can help them prepare to go on trips. And then also in Peru, yes, someone I, else was there. I second, like, every time you go to Peru, you better take all that. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's one of the work. So we've sent three, we've gone for three consecutive years, mm -hmm. and um, we team up with doctors in Huancayo and go up to Aramachai, which is up in mm -hmm. the, the mountains, um, and we hand out, we do vaccines, you know, malaria. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's more through, like, health prevention mm -hmm. um, because they don't have access to hospital to go get their vaccine. You know, that's where they get them in. And access is a huge word because you know, as when you take medical teams someplace, you have access to every country in the world. You can even get into North Korea if you're medical providers. Long should use the Baptist word. <laughs> Who went to Oman? I went to Oman, but it wasn't for anything medical. Okay, what kind of but um, they were having a big festival in the southern part of Oman where mm -hmm. a lot of the um, Omanis vacation. And mm -hmm. so we were there just to meet people at this big festival that they have and share yeah. the gospel as we could. 
So nurses, what could she have been doing at this festival? She could very easily get the hydrated. Yeah. Yes, so a water station because you can stay hydrated and then make sure other people stay hydrated at a festival. There's always the blood pressure clinics that you can do. And you know, we don't have to be nurses to be able to do a blood pressure clinic. I mean, they slap that thing on your wrist, right? And anyone can read it. So you'd be fine with that. Okay. Romania and shoe boxes. We have, um, it's not affiliated with the OCC boxes. We send shoe boxes to some missionaries mm -hmm. over in Romania, and they have a mission house that about every two years um, a group of our um, people from church will go and mm -hmm. do a mission trip. They give out shoe boxes. They um, help. We, we have different ones do vacation Bible school, mm -hmm. help build. Well, in those shoe boxes and you're handing out, that is just a wonderful time to do that quick assessment, right? Because sometimes we don't have to do an exam to see that there's a problem. And then if there's a parent who comes along, you can talk with them about what you're observing in the child or you're observing in the spouse. And then Zambia. Yes. Yes. Um, <coughs> went to um, Zambia, Africa. And we did a surgery, and we had a clinic there. Mm -hmm. And we did ENT surgery, and we did clinics, and the uh, Africans would come in for mm -hmm. rash. Uh, one mother was washing the baby's hair with <coughs> detergent, mm -hmm. and she and the baby got sore on the head, so we had to scrub the head. Mm -hmm. We did clinic like that, mm -hmm. and we did the blood pressure, mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I have been going to Guatemala for every year since mm -hmm. 2002, and mm -hmm. we do a village team, mm -hmm. also with the uh, surgery team. Mm -hmm. And in the medicals, we have doctors who do OBQ, OB, not OB, but GYN. <coughs> and then we do dental mm -hmm. extractions, and we do pediatric. Mm -hmm. We have doctors, peds, uh, pediatrics. And, um, you could all be on her team. I mean, you all have a skill for, yeah. that matches that. Isn't, that. isn't it wonderful that there are so many places that we can go in the world and in our country? There is just no place that has enough free medical care for it. So when you think about these, other places that we can serve are in shelters. About every large community has a shelter for the homeless um, or for those who are suddenly homeless, the emergency housing for families. And there you can do health coaching, you can do BP checks, you can do hygiene uh, talks with the homeless. You know, you're not out in the woods long before hygiene is an issue. Child development for those who've lived at risk in Myrtle Beach, which sounds like a beautiful place to go. 60% of our children live below the poverty level in our primary and elementary school. 60%. Think about that. 15% of our high schoolers have no address. Think about that. They're in a beautiful vacation place. And you can do baby care and teaching them. It, it's heartbreaking when you meet a woman who's given birth to her baby in the woods. Partly because she doesn't want to get medical care so she because she'll have to tell them about her drug and alcohol use. And with the homeless, alcohol and drug addictions make it all worse. Have you taken care of drug addicted or alcohol alcoholic patients in the hospital and you know what happens after a few days? Yeah. 
So on mission teams, sometimes we recognize the drug use and the alcohol problems, and that creates a whole other scenario. And it's not just in the United States. It's in other parts of the world. So on mission teams, we can also serve as a medical coordinator. And I believe strongly that every team going out, no matter what their purpose is, no matter how specific or how general, there should be a medical coordinator. You can also serve at marathons in the water stations. Now, you know that runners, I don't know if any of you are runners or not, but runners don't stop and chat, so you're not sharing the gospel with the runners. But if you ask to be stationed by the EMTs, because you could help if needed, you can share Christ with them. After school programs that are happening in different parts of your community, they can use volunteer first aid people for the children. In disaster relief, all of the rebuilds that go on after tornadoes and hurricanes and floods and ice storms and uh, volcano eruptions, they need they need a medical coordinator for the teams and sometimes they just need folks to come in and do first aid at the end of the day. And so when you're forming a uh, specifically a medical team, the ideal is two doctors, two mid-level providers, two dentists with hygienists, four nurses, a pharmacy person, and somebody to record everything, and then someone for the supplies. So that's your team. That's the ideal. And if you can have more, even better. And a lot of times we take our spouses with us, and my husband would say, what in the world am I going to do? You're going to count pills, honey, because you can count good. <laughs> So let's talk about the role of the medical coordinator. This is important on every team, from prayer walking to construction, from missions work in the United States to overseas, any of those missional um, initiatives. And they play an important part because they can enhance the effectiveness of any mission team. They can prepare the team to go with that holistic medical perspective, thinking about every member of the team as physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, all of those realms that we deal with in nursing. By being knowledgeable for possible medical needs that may ar arise as it relates to the person's health history that you'll learn about and that may be part of their current medical status. I hate to turn away somebody who wants to go on a mission trip because they have a history of heart disease, but there's ways to evaluate that as the nurse to see if there's a part they can do. You don't want them roofing in the heat but there's places that they can serve on teams. And by being prepared for medical needs that are common to all mission teams, as we talked about when going to Peru, that's a common problem is the, is the diarrhea. And then what's inherent to the location of the mission work. For instance, if you're going to Peru, you're going to be at a high elevation most likely. And there are issues that go along with working at above 8,000 feet. We can't presume mission team members, even those with a medical background, will be adequately prepared to attend to the medical needs of the members. So from a medical perspective, I think it's a disaster waiting to happen if you're thinking, well, she's, you know, she's a nurse, she'll probably be able to take care of everything. But if that nurse isn't thinking about taking care of other things, she's excited because she's teaching children, or she's exciting because finally she can use all those tools um, on a roof and building and all. And so having to stop in the middle of it to take care of something that 
has a Walmart first aid kit. That's just not going to work, is it? My experience tells me the tetanus will not be updated by the construction team members. Nobody would have said, check your dates on that. They won't have an ability to work for hours at a time or walk for hours at a time or walk in two miles because they don't walk at all. And no one said, you really ought to be able to walk. They won't stay hydrated because they don't understand the importance of hydration is not Coca-Cola. They won't have the things that we commonly find in our medicine cabinets at home because they think there's a CVS everywhere. So they won't have anything for cough. They won't have anything for diarrhea. They won't have anything for sleeplessness. They won't have anything, any Band-Aids. Men never have a Band-Aid. Their insurance coverage will not be checked to see if it's, if it's applicable overseas. And they'll leave their card at home if they're in the United States. They won't have sunscreen, and if they brought it and they're 15, they won't use it, thinking mm -hmm. they'll be fine. They won't use their bug spray that their mama packs until the day after they're covered with chigger bites. Those are just a few of the problems that I have encountered on mission trips that I was really glad I was prepared for. And some in the medical profession really think we don't need that person. I will just jump in. But if a doctor's in the middle of surgery, he's not going to run out to the person who now has their femur broken, penetrating their skin, because he's in the middle of surgery. And someone else, you just have to have that coordinator to do it. Teamwork is interrupted no matter where it is. If you're in the middle of sharing Jesus Christ, you would have to leave. They are at that point of saying, yes, and you're saying, could you excuse me a minute? Somebody has a rash? So you really want somebody who is, who is uh, ready and able to do that. And this approach lacks the important necessary pre-trip information, the trip-specific preparedness, and the accountability to medical care that we can bring that others cannot. And because mission teams need to be focused, we can be more observant on how others are doing. I was on a house building project in Mexico and I knew when somebody had to come off the roof in the 100 degree weather. I knew when it was they were going to be dehydrated if they didn't come down. Even though I was passing around the drinks every half hour for them to stay hydrated by constantly giving them fluids. And even the most minor issues that arise on the workplace can be best dealt with by somebody who's prepared and observing for those things. When there's a professional medical provider, team members are more apt to confide in them about the problems that they're anticipating. You know, around the table they don't want to talk about the problem with diarrhea and you hope they don't at the dinner table. But if after dinner, every day, you are the medical coordinators who are saying, I'm gonna be over in this room and anyone has any problem, I'll be glad to talk with them about it, I can check your blood pressure, we can go over your medicines if you're having trouble with them not seeming as effective. And boy, I'll tell you, the problems they bring to you, you're really glad they did. When somebody says, I haven't slept in two nights, I don't know what to do, you need to know because they're not gonna function in the job that they're there to do, even if they are, a nurse, the nurse might say, gee, I didn't bring anything. I've tried the Benadryl. It's not working. What can I do? So how do we prepare the team to be a healthy team and experience um, a great mission experience? First of all, the nurse coordinator should investigate what the physical challenges will be on the, on the work site. 
and also for sightseeing. This team I was on in Mexico, they decided to go swimming in the cenotes. Those are underground water channels. And one of our team members um, was a, has juvenile diabetes, but he was 40-some years old, and he'd already lost some of his vision. He jumps in the cenotes, and now he's blind because it's dark. Now, if I had known about his degree of visual loss, then I would have been able to caution him not to go in. But he's six feet tall, and he's about 200 pounds, so he decided to lean on me in this. So I thought I was going to drown, actually. So I thought it would have been best for us both to stay out of the cenotes. So even the day off when you do the sightseeing, it's important to know. You need to know those sort of things if there's going to be walking, if there's stairs involved in the buildings you're going to. And you need to evaluate the ability of the team members in relationship to the number of hours of travel to the mission site, like when you're going out in a remote area. And you also need to evaluate their ability to be doing construction, those sort of things, and to talk about that frequently in the pre-mission trip meetings. They will listen to you as you get into the dynamics of what to expect you don't want a person to buy new shoes before going prayer walking or new work boots before doing construction because the blisters will form or the kids won't wear socks. So there's many things to talk about. I know it sounds silly to say to kids, you need to wear socks every day. But if they don't, we know what will happen and pretty soon they're all wearing socks. You need to advise on nutrition. How many people don't eat breakfast and wonder why they're fainting on the job site at 10.30 in the morning? Well, I never eat breakfast, but it's different when you're working hard and you're out on mission trips. And to talk about nutritionally balanced meals, I like to take a team to a restaurant that serves the kind of food in the country we're going to, and now we have so many ethnic restaurants that you can get to. So having your team go to an Ethiopian restaurant is really helpful if you're going to the Middle East, because then they'll be able to see the kinds of food that they'll get there and how to work with that. And so when you think about that, they need to think about what they can eat, what they don't tolerate, because you don't want them all to come down sick. It's really hard to function there. You can talk with them about how not to eat fruits unless you peel it yourself and the vegetables and to check about the food that they're going to be eating. They may listen to you if you say less caffeine, no soda, drink without ice because those are all problems and to talk about bottled water and to check with the site you're going to to see how the water will be provided and make sure the seals are on the bottles of water that you get. Sleeping habits. People should develop a healthy sleep habit. You know, if you're a night nurse and suddenly you're on days, everything gets all turned around and it takes days to, to adjust to that. So you want them to talk about their sleep habits. If they stay up till 2 a.m. every night, morning, and they don't get up till 10, that's not going to work with the times of the team, and they can't start the day before. So they need to really work up to that and establish a, uh, simulate the sleeping arrangements that it's going to be. They might need to um, try sleeping on a mat on the floor if that's what it's going to be, to know what they need for that. Also to know that um, they might practice with masks and earplugs and to always bring those on a trip. Hand washing, and we all know that, but not everyone thinks we really mean that. 
and they don't want to sing happy birthday twice while they wash their hands. They really don't want to do that. But to use lots of hand sanitizer and to make it available everywhere and to have a rule. My rule is you don't touch yourself above your clavicle because that's how it's, you know, all of this. I had a, a nurse say to me, her husband was going on a mission trip, and she said, would you make sure he doesn't pick his nose? I said, all right, all right, I, I'm not usually in charge of that, but she was so worried about it. Also, help them understand that the running water in most places in the world, and in some places, even in Appalachia, um, you don't want it in your mouth at all. And so help them to learn that when brushing their teeth, because we do it so automatically to take their towel and cover over the faucets and the, and, the, um, and the knobs and all with a towel and keep their bottle of water in one hand and their toothbrush in the other and don't rinse it underneath. We do it automatically. And so to practice that at home, I do it myself because I am so into how I normally do it. One guy came to me and he said, well, I, I did everything you said about toothbrushing. He said, I was so glad there was hot water. I let it run in my ears. And I'm thinking, oh, that's probably not good either. In my eyes, you know, to get all the dust out. All right. So you have to cover all those things that are just, that no one thinks about until there's a problem. Then there's um, medication. When you're going overseas, it really needs to be in the original bottle because it can be confiscated as you're going through customs. Also caution them not to change doses. It's good to see the doctor before you go, but don't be on your new blood pressure medicine starting at the day before you leave because if you have side effects, you're kind of stuck with that. Also help them to understand how they can travel with things like nebulizers and CPAPs insulin pumps and all those things that they need going through um, security. Some people need pre-trip considerations if they're cardiac patients, if they're diabetics, um, if they've been exposed uh, to any communicable disease in the last 10 days before the trip. If they're sick, they stay home. They don't say, I'll get over the cold while I'm there because they're going to get just worse. And then everyone gets sick. And for some people, if you're going on a local mission trip and you're going all in a van, you need to have a frequent stopper van because there's a lot of folks who, if you're pregnant, you have to stop more often. Men with BPH have to start more often. People with fibromyalgia or with arthritis, they need to get out and move around. And they need some extra cushioning in their, in their seat. So these are all things to think about in the travel process. Mental health issues can arise on a mission trip. We like to think that it's, it's all wonderful and easy, and it is, but adults get homesick, and that always results in a physical demonstration of the homesickness. They don't know why they're nauseated every morning. Well, they may well be homesick. There's also phobias that erupt. Took a little um, gal with me who is a dental hygienist, and here she was with her little mobile unit, and she's doing her first patient, and suddenly coming in the door and across the ceiling is a herd of tarantulas. I mean, that would be my personal phobia right there. And she's going, I can do this, I can do this, God sent me, I can do this. And I said, what, what are you saying? And she said, look up. So I was glad that we could get them out of there. They were just passing through, as they do, apparently. And then there's culture shock, which can be paralyzing for team members. 
you see poverty in places that are just beyond our understanding, and that's usually the culture shock that we experience, is the, the poverty of nations. To see a family who's the second generation living under a tarp at a railway station. To see people bathing in the fountain. To see people on trash heaps that are higher than you, and the trash is just built up year after year. And they're stringing their gray clothes on a gray cord and they're wearing gray clothes that used to have color to it. And that can be paralyzing for members of a team. And then understanding safe traveling practices. Sometimes we think, when I get to the country, I'll put into to use all these things. But they really need to know that the hand washing starts as soon as they leave home. You know, we've all seen those things on Facebook about how dirty planes are. And so having good hand washing and hand sanitizer and not being afraid to put a mask on. And we can provide those masks for every member of the team. To have them drink fruit juice while they're flying and not poke. To have snacks and to eat at regular intervals. To not cross their legs. To get up and walk on the plane that's 20 hour flight. To get up and walk. To have a small pillow under the front of their, right under their knees to help prevent DVTs. To have, bring extra pillows. Don't be embarrassed you're carrying three pillows. To bring earplugs and to bring socks so they can take their shoes off because their feet will swell on the plane. And then for women there are some specific issues that they don't think about. Time zone changes can affect your cycles and even though your period was two weeks ago you may end up with it in two days because you've changed and your whole body is just readjusting. And then pregnancy clearance. There are some vaccines you can't have when you're pregnant. Morning sickness typically increases in the woman who's newly pregnant and then there's risk to the unborn from some tropical diseases. When we think about prevention of things, we have to think about the vaccines and the CDC site, cdc.gov slash travel is the best site for that. It lists every single country in the world and it will give you alerts to what is and what isn't rampant. There are places where you think there'll be malaria and there isn't. Like when I was in India, I was on medication. It was making me really sick and when I arrived, the volunteer there, who was there for two years, was a public health nurse. And she said, I just got an alert that there's no malaria here where we are in Bombay. You can stop your medicine. And I thought, this is great. I'll be able to function better because now I didn't have to work through the nausea so I wouldn't get malaria. I did see a few mosquitoes and I was vigilant though. And those mosquitoes carry things, um, diseases that we don't even want to think about like dengue fever. So many, when they go to South America, end up with dengue fever. Um, food and waterborne diseases, you need to know how to boil the water with iodine and chlorine dioxide tablets and how to wash the food and how to instruct those who are doing food. You need to know about what is a high risk for AIDS and tuberculosis. When I was in Ghana, I was in a, um, a hospital there in Nalerigu and I was going praying with patients after making rounds all morning with the doctors I made rounds with the the chaplain and the chaplain said to me I don't know if you want to go in this room there's a, a Muslim woman with end-stage TB and I thought how could I not go in and pray with her and they said you know she may not live much longer and I thought I could be the last person who speaks Jesus to her so the missionary said okay we'll go but don't breathe Sometimes you have to have a follow-up TB test. 
And we've talked about travel-associated illnesses. We need to network with our missionaries, and we need to talk with previous teams that have been there to see what they experienced so we can be prepared. And then there's the post-trip awareness that nurses can help them with, to recognize symptoms that come up that they were not aware of before, but they need to be aware of now. Had a um, team member call me and she said, the most disgusting thing just happened in the shower. I passed a worm bigger than my thumb. I said, yeah, that happens. And she said, I've got it in a baggie. I'm bringing it over now. Oh, good. So they need to be aware that those things can happen, you know, and nobody wants to really talk about them, but to let them know there are things that they might experience. And then jet lag. Most people think, well, that really won't bother me. It was only three time zones. Well, you don't have to travel far to have jet lag. And to understand that for every time zone, it takes, it takes a day to recover. So if you're traveling eight eight time zones away, it's going to be a week before you start to feel like yourself again. And just to be aware of that. Prevention and intervention is important. When you talk about work sites, guys who are really good with construction will be good about the gloves and the shoes and the eye protection. But if not, make sure they are. Just say, is everyone going to have that protection? And then we've talked about sunburn, and so you will need to have things for that. You may need to have some aloe and some cold compresses and that sort of thing, and Benadryl and, and um, Advil to give them when they have sunburn. Blisters, we're the ones who say don't break the blister. And we have to have the things to need for that. Also, you need to know what to give those who are experiencing dehydration, what the percentages of four teaspoons of sugar in a quart of water um, or honey and a half a teaspoon of salt to start the rehydration process. You don't want to give them Gatorade or any of the sport drinks. It just has too much in it. They can have that the next day to help them stay hydrated. And I really like them to mix their sport drink with water 50-50 so they're not overdoing all those electrolytes. You want to be sure that you have things for the mild GI symptoms that come along, um, have Imodium, and you can even tell everyone to carry their personal supply of those things when they're traveling so that they can just use them when needed. Be mindful of altitude sickness if you're working over 8,000 feet and be prepared for that. And if you're going really remote, you may want to bring needles and syringes, IV tubing. Some bring their own IV uh, fluids with them because you just don't know in other parts of the world they're reused. Other things that you need to be um, aware of other forms that people have to fill out. Today in, in medical life, we're so used to those forms, we're just, we hate all that, but it's how it has to be. And so they need three pieces. They need their medical form, the personal insurance form, and their travel insurance form if they're going out of country. And the medical form should be able to tell you everything you need to know about them. But they leave so many blanks. Like I had surgery on my belly. Well, it'd be nice to know what it was. So sometimes you just have to call the person on the team and say, I need a little more information. And because you're the nurse, they'll tell you. They may give you more information than you want to know. The forms you can get, some churches have their own, state convention offices have forms, um, and some uh, teams that you might be going with, if you're going with um, 
like Dewey Dunn's group, um, the Baptist Medical Dental Fellowship, they have their own form for that. You want to make sure that there's the date of their last tetanus and any other vaccines. You need to know their allergies and reactions that they've had. You need to know food issues that they have, preferences, um, heartburn, out, food allergies. And what about the uninsured person? To help them understand they are at risk. If they don't have insurance, they'll have to pay if they need to appear. We took one man with us. We were going to Kentucky, and he didn't have insurance. And I said, um, you realize you'd have to pay out of pocket at a hospital if, if you had an injury on the construction team. He said, I know. And so sure enough, he gets a laceration. So it was, it was deep enough to need three or four stitches. So we called the local clinic, and they don't do stitches. Now the hospital is an hour and a half away. So we called the hospital, and they said, we have a nurse's strike. We can't take anyone in the ER. thought, okay, so we're doing steri-strips. So we got everyone around to pray over it. We put the steri-strips on. Do you know the next day, it was almost completely healed. God, praise God for that. But you've got to be prepared, and he was prepared to pay out of pocket for that. We were hoping the clinic would have done that. In some places in the United States, you will need to have your medical credentials with you, and so that's important to do and advise anyone else on your team who's a medical professional. Overseas, probably not. And then you want to keep all of this information that you have that's personal information, um, like our HEPA laws, we need to keep that private and ask them if they'd like it returned to them at the end or if they would like it shredded. I use the back of the forms for anything that I have to do with them as a medical record and then take pictures of it. Well, that's all the good medical stuff for that. But the most important part is sharing Jesus. And how do we do that? And sometimes, and perhaps too often, the, um, the nurse or doctor is just relegated to the medical care. But I believe every opportunity we have, we can take to share Christ on these. We want our physical care to be a means for sharing the gospel. That is the avenue that we use. Nurses are the most trusted profession, aren't they? Except for 9-11, that year the firefighters got it. But the rest of the time, it's nurses. We are most trusted. So as we build a relationship, even in a short time with a patient, in a medical setting, they trust us to tell them truth, don't they? And so when we start to share Jesus, they already know we, we are truth tellers and that we will be able to share with them things that are true about the, the Christ that we serve. I was in Mexico on the first medical trip with um, medical professionals from my church. And the third person that I interviewed to triage through true translators, this was out in the Mayan zone in a village, that had never had anyone there do medical, a medical trip. And our church was the only ones who had been there in the previous year. In fact, we were the first persons to go there and pray in the name of Jesus when we did our vision trip in this little village of Chen Chen. So this woman comes up in this beautiful white dress that the Mayans um, wear with the embroidery around it. And she just looks so sad. And she had, a, she had um, her, some relative with her. And so through her tears, she told us the story that she had been bleeding for four years and that her children did not respect her. Her husband had no use for her. And the village was ostracizing her because she was too weak to do her job. 
So what story could I tell her about Jesus? I mean, I know it came right to your mind. And so I told her that there was a woman 2,000 years ago who just like her came through a crowd of people to find out what would help her. And that woman 2,000 years ago knew that there was a man named Jesus who was the son of God who came to earth to help people like her. And I said, I'm going to take you to a doctor and he's going to tell you how we can help this problem, but he's going to tell you about Jesus who 2,000 years ago helped a woman just like you. So I went over. Now this is Dr. Jim, 70 years old, never been on a mission trip. He's been a family practitioner, and I said, Dr. Jim, this lady's been bleeding for four years, and it was like the light bulb over his head, like, I know what to do here. And he told her about Jesus. First, he told her about Jesus. He told her about how we all have sin in our lives, and that sometimes we have physical problems that can be helped, and some can't. But he thought he could help her with this. He said, but the sin problem is the greatest problem. And Jesus can take all of that away. Well, we wondered while we were preparing and gathering things that somebody gave us a whole box of birth control pills. All it took was to cycle this young woman. And so we gave her the whole box because they don't use birth control in a lot of places. And we knew no one else would want that because having babies, lots of babies, is important. And she left there. She said to him, I want your Jesus. I want your Jesus. There's a church in that little town now. She's a member of that church. So what other stories can we use from a medical perspective as we go on mission trips? Can you think of other stories in the Bible that have a little bit of a medical component to it? The first nurse in the Bible, her name was Deborah. She was a nurse for Rachel. She went with Rachel to Mary. And of course, nurses were often thought of as just taking care of children, but they were the ones who birthed the children. They were the midwives of that day. How about Jesus on the cross? Looking down from the cross and saying to John, take care of my mother. How many times we have to help people know that when they put their mom or their dad in a, in a care facility because they can no longer care for all their physical needs, that we as nurses help them walk through that. Jesus did that too. Then there were the men who brought the paralytic to Jesus. Remember how he was healed? And so if we have physical therapists, they can be part of BNF. If we have them helping patients, they can tell the story of Jesus, that he healed the paralyzed people that he met. We can't heal your paralysis, but we can begin the process of you working with that, and we can give you avenues for how you can work with your paralysis. I met a man in Mexico. His neck was so far turned around, I thought he must have been born with torticollis, but he said no, he fell out of a tree. Can you imagine the injury he must have had, that his head was always looking over his left shoulder? He must have had a cervical fracture of some sort and all the muscles messed up. And then there's blind Bartimaeus. Remember how Jesus healed him? And we can tell these stories, and the stories go on. Peter's mother-in-law, the good Samaritan, Naaman with his leprosy. If you work in a dermatology office, that ought to be a favorite one. Any nurse or healthcare professional can take the stories of Jesus, the stories of the Old Testament, and apply to the people that they meet on mission. 
we don't have to search too far. But it might be something we want to do to prepare to go, is what stories will we tell that will then lead to sharing the gospel, the plan of salvation with people. Well, Baptist Nursing Fellowship began in 1983 through the efforts of a retiring missionary nurse, Ellen Tabor. She and her husband um, served in Korea for years, and um, Dr. Tabor, when she came home, said, there really ought to be a place for nurses, because we talk about things that no one else talks about, don't we? Comfortably. And we have the stressors, and we have a humor that we have to use to help us with the stress of the job, that other people would say, they're laughing at that? But we know that we understand that that's how we have to process through so we can go back again the next day and do what we do. And so she, with Dr. Dewey Dunn, who was president of the Baptist Medical Dental Fellowship at the time, and June Whitlow, who was at National WMU, they came together and quickly nurses in our southern states heard about Baptist Nursing Fellowship. And over two years, hundreds of nurses joined the organization. Listen to the BNF mission statement. Baptist Nursing Fellowship provides an avenue of spiritual and professional fellowship for Christian nurses, facilitates members' use of nursing skills in nursing, prays for and supports missionary nurses, and aids in members' own growth as a Christian nurse. That's a big statement. And we're in the process of looking at that again. We have added other allied healthcare professionals to our organization about 15 years ago. And so for 36 years, BNF has provided for these fellowship, service, and growth. And we believe missions is at the heart of who we are in BNF. National BNF is led by a president and an executive director. We have an executive board that we work with to provide direction for the organization. And in the various uh, venues where we serve as internationally and domestically. We're in the process of restructuring. We lost our executive director two years ago. It was always someone at WMU who was tasked as we are a ministry of WMU, although we're our own 501c3. And so when we lost that person, it was actually the day after I was elected president-elect. And I thought, okay, all right, this will be a little more work than I thought because I'd been told I'd probably be writing a lot of notes and that'd be it. Okay. So Kay Miller, who is the current president, she said, together we're going to have to do this, Debbie. So we began to pray for an executive director who would want to be in that position and not have a salary because there was no income. So think about it yourself. Wouldn't it have to be God's call for you to step out of your practice of where you are and say, sure, I'll be your volunteer and hope that someday you can pay me. And so we prayed. And Kay said... It'd be really great if it was a missionary nurse, wouldn't it? I said, well, of course, that would be great. And so we began to pray. We formed a search committee, and God gave us Lori Spikes, retired medical missionary, a nurse to Chile, and then to the Hispanic diaspora in England. And so she came to us and said, this is what God wants me to do. And so she is working as a nurse in a clinic for women, and she is leading out and doing a wonderful job. So Laurie's been in place not quite a year. We voted on her a year ago, September. And so as our lead officers, the three of us, have been rewriting bylaws, 
creating what we nurses love, policy and procedure manual, which there never was one. And so now we have all of those things in place and we're very excited and we're seeing growth. We've been invited to Illinois, to California, to Texas, to Michigan, to Minnesota, Wisconsin area. And um, we continue to see nurses saying, this is what I've been looking for. This is where I wanna plug in. This is where I wanna put my time and my experience is in the Fellowship of Baptist Nurses. And so we have created two mission teams that are going out, one to Kentucky that I talked with you about, to work with the McPeets, Bessie McPeet, the diaper lady. And they work with um, uh, little children, pregnant women, um, women at risk who live in this poverty area and do women's health. They started by handing out diapers and ended up moving there. And now they have this huge room full of diapers and everything else a baby needs and they so our nurses went there and did clinics and did them in a variety of places as they needed and the other trip is the preparation to um, take nurses and to take mid-level providers and to take students in midwifery and in nurse practicing um, to Thailand to do remote medical clinics I'm going October 3rd to there with um, Lori and with Kay, and we'll be exploring that with uh, Derbyshires. Doug Derbyshire is a physician, and Cheryl is a nurse, and they do these remote clinics week after week after week. And so we'll be um, creating a template to take students and nurses and mid-level providers with us in the years to come. We hope to have several weeks in each mission point. As we focus on creating this fellowship of nurses in different places. We're not looking to make it necessarily statewide. Some states have a state BNF. South Carolina does. Some used to have that and no longer do. And so our focus has been on the grassroots level. Finding where there are pockets of nurses. In my area, we have it in our associational area. So nurses are coming and we're meeting every three months and some live 45 minutes away and some live five minutes away. But we have a central meeting area and nurses are coming. We started with four of us who said, this sounds like a good idea. One of the nurses said, I'm retiring in two months. I need something to sink my teeth in that is medical. She'd been an ED nurse for 35 years and she still has lots of energy. And so we began. And in two years, we had 20 members, all nurses except for two, one who was um, documentation in a hospital and one who's a pharmacist. And so the core group is about 12 that do all of the things that we do. And it's not that we're meeting every week, but we meet every three months to keep that momentum going. And every meeting, there are new nurses who come in to check us out and to see if, if this is a place they want to connect, and typically it is. And because most of our nurses in my chapter are working, so they can't be in everything they do, um, but they love being able to take time away and rearrange their schedule if they know ahead of time what we're doing when. And so having these, these small chapters, these local chapters, is very effective. So it only takes having two or three nurses to begin. And um, so it can be a church BNF. There are some churches that have 20 or 30 nurses in them. 
And so they can very quickly form a chapter. Others know in their association others. Some know in their hospitals where they are. And so they form one at their medical complex. Now we have Baptist Nursing Fellowship as our name and we would like to keep it that way because we're nurse-led but we have other healthcare professionals in it, not physicians. We kind of steer them to the BMDF, but nurse practitioners and midwives and um, instructors. Some of our nurses have PhDs in nursing and some have an LPN. We also have some EMTs and some nurses aides who say, this is what I do. This is my medical career path as a nurse's aide caring for patients in the hospital. And so those chapters are forming, and they, they sort of follow the bylaws that we have at National WMU. And so if they're Methodist, but, they're, but they are believers in Jesus Christ, they're born again, and they know how to share the gospel without proselytizing a specific, specific brand, um, let's say, um, they're welcome to. So that's Baptist Nursing Fellowship. And it's a wonderful part of it when you come together and you pray together and you make plans. One of the things our group has been doing is blessing of the hands for nursing student graduates. And it's just beautiful to see them come up and, and we talk with them about how God has created their hands. And nursing is a holy call on, on your lives when you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And that all the avenues they'll have to share Christ with patients. We can't go in and say to our patient, how about if I pray with you right now? But so many times they'll ask us about it or we can say just you know, while we're doing whatever, you know, I was thinking of you last night so I was praying for you. And sometimes they, they just are blown away by that. Or they'll say, are you a Christian? Will you pray for me? And when the doctor's a Christian too and you're kind of tag teaming up on them you know, to share Christ, it's a wonderful thing. Benefits of being a member of National BNF are many. There are scholarships for education and for mission trip participation. If you're a member, there's free online, on-demand, continuing education contact hours. There has not been a lot of traffic there, and so we're not sure if we'll continue that. There are discounts for the Journal of Christian Nursing magazines. We have partnered with um, NCF, and so um, they don't have missions as a part of it. They're much more education focused, and so there's a discount for that. There's a monthly prayer focused email that goes out to all of our members. There are medical mission projects that I've talked about. There's a member page with resources such as how to have a block party healthcare component. And there's the quarterly Lamplighter newsletter with articles about BNF, about different states and different chapter activities and different opportunities for service. So if you're not part of a chapter and would like to form a chapter, it's not hard to do. And so I just happened to bring with me steps to starting a local BNF chapter. We all like a how-to, right? And having done it, I know that it can be done, and it's not hard. So I hope that you will think about that. 
Membership is not expensive. Some of the professional uh, memberships are very high, but not in Baptist Nursing Fellowship. For instance, um, an RN might pay $65. I mean, that's, that is really peanuts. Student nurses, I think it's 10 or $15, maybe 20 I can't remember right off the top of my head. But on our website, www.wmu.com slash BNF, you will find all the information for that. State organizations um, receive part of what you pay the national dues. So, for instance, South Carolina, when I do my annual renewal, then part of that goes to South Carolina BNF. Are you still receiving? Okay, Georgia is still receiving a part of the, the cost. Every state is different, and so when you go to join national BNF, you automatically become a part of Georgia BNF. But, you know, I mean, realistically, we have maybe six BNF members right mm -hmm. now, you know, nationally. So we're really at a point in our state where it's really a, a, a fresh, blank slate mm. that we can really think about how we want to restart. You know, does it need to be a state-type thing like with South Carolina? Mm -hmm. Do we want to really focus on where's got to work among nurses? I mean, I think about Tripp McConnell. I think about Georgia Gwinnett. I think about mm -hmm. you know, somebody I don't even know. I mean, do we focus on that? So I would love, you know... I've got your contact info. Mm -hmm. I would love to survey you after as you have a chance just to pray and think about this and just help us know. Because it's just, there's so much potential. And it's just mm -hmm. so, I mean, my heart's beating fast. Like, <laughs> I just, it's so exciting, the mm -hmm. potential of it. And to have different chapters, mm -hmm. you know, that may be 10 years down the road before the whole state would come together. That would be up to you all to dream those things. But to have a chapter that's working together mm -hmm. is a great thing because they become your new friends, you know, and you think the same way and you think about what are the projects are out there and how can we bless this person? Where can we go with our skills? and to make it flexible so that nurses can come together. In the three years that my chapter has formed, we've had to reevaluate and think, is this the best way to do what we're doing? And we decided, yes, it was the best way. It met most everyone's needs. And so um, those chapters um, are great. And when we have our state meeting in South Carolina, there's only about 10 people who go. So it's, it's not like that's the focus. We really are chapter focused. And the Charleston group is just getting started. The Columbia group, they're, they're well at work. We have a new chapter starting up in the north. So I would love to see chapters starting here. No, you can't. I'll, we'll have a contest with you. <laughs> You're going to tell them about the national Yes, we have a national meeting, which is really exciting, and we're actually in the process of renaming it because if you say to somebody, would you like to come to our annual meeting, it sounds like business, doesn't it? So this year, our theme is Be Still and Know, and we're having it on the beach, so you all be praying there's no hurricanes September 6th, 7th, and 8th, because we'll be on Oak Island at the Baptist campground there, which is uh, Fort Caswell an old Civil War, um, Revolutionary War place. And it's a beautiful setting. And so we have tried to make it very affordable. It's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I think there's still two beds open. So if that's something you'd like to do. And there's the t-shirts, you know, and we have Dr. Rebecca Naylor, who was a um, 
missionary doctor in India will be our primary speaker. She'll also be doing a contact hour. And we have a um, professor at Charleston Southern who will be speaking on integrating your faith in nursing. And then uh, one of our um, officers is doing a contact hour on uh, volunteering in the schools because many of us, especially if we're retired, we're looking for places to use our skills. And so um, how to help in our schools where our children, our grandchildren are, to help them with the screening. Because the screening that goes on in schools, unless you've got a kid in the school, you've forgotten what they do. And things have changed over time. We also will have Teresa Harmoning, so we have wonderful worship and praise. Teresa's from Texas, and boy, I have there. I've been with a lot of programs with a lot of musicians, but Teresa really tops the charts. I was in Alaska speaking, and she was doing the music, and it was the last session was on Christ making a commitment to Christ to go into all the world. And as I was speaking on that, um, I just felt like the spirit was moving. And at the end, Teresa was to play, and she said, as I was sitting down, she said, I've written a song about going into all the world. And I've just texted it to my IT person up there. So in a minute, it's going to come on the screen, and it'll be a familiar tune, but we're going to sing these words of commitment. And we started to sing, and people started moving to the front, saying, yes, Lord, I will go. I will go. And I thought, boy, anyone who can do that, write a song, and then we sing it, and then the people come forward. There is an anointing there. And she will be with us. So if you got those dates free, you can check it out on our website. We also have a lot of time to just be together and fellowship and find out where everyone's from and the kind of nursing they're doing. And it's just a great time of being together. So that occurs every year in September. It's just a lovely time to get together. Anything else you want me to mm -hmm. speak next to next year? Pinnacle. So y'all, I'm calling on y'all to come and be there. That's right, Pinnacle. Yes, I'm so involved in this year that even though I've been thinking about we've just arranged for Pinnacle and so we're excited about that. I will say, too, as we're talking about Pinnacle, um, every year we do have a need for nurses to come during summer missions camp when we have our girls um, and teens. And so if you're looking for a volunteer week or weekend in the summer, we use nurses to come. Mm. There's so many medications the girls have that they're taking. Mm, just, today. Yeah. So um, mm -hmm. so we have a nurse every week at camp, summer camp. Nice place to stay, nice apartment. Do you give a discount if their, their child is eligible for camp? For the, the nurse? Mm. Oh, well, the nurse just comes first. I know, but for the, the child. if they bring their child? The child? I, I'm sure we can work something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or grandchild. Did you do it? I was at Tacoa. Oh. Okay. Mm. We're so much more fun than that. <laughs> 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 it is fun to be the camp nurse. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Are not. <laughs> it takes a certain person to be the camp nurse. I did that one year in, in South Carolina, and I said to the, the GA gal who was our camp coordinator, I said to Cindy, so I just want to be the GA consultant. I really don't want to be the camp nurse. You know, all that homesickness, throwing up stuff. But some nurses love that. Miss Millie, she loves it. Any questions about BNF, about medical missions?
Does the, I mean, if people are looking for opportunities, does IMB have a list of yes. opportunities? Like, how do they connect yes. to trips? You can connect with IMB. If you go to IMB um, website and you just look on the search for medical mission trips, they will come up with one. They do, um, they put together teams to go to some of the regions of the world where all their personnel come in to have their annual exams and all their testing and all of that and that's a great experience to be able to go with that. Um, Rick, I forget his last name, he coordinates that with IMB, he's the coordinator of that, but you can see all that on that site. Yep, so IMB is great to coordinate that. And then Global Baptist Response is also doing some of that. So you can go to the IMB site slash GBR, and that's Dr. Naylor's group that she's working with to take medical teams. And she will tell you that the places in the world, like I said earlier, that will turn away everyone except the medical workers. Yep. One question mm -hmm. I have is Pruitt got connected with Sure, and impressionable. And I just saw that the GBR did something in Oklahoma. Yes, they just had a big expo there. I've never heard of that. And that's mm -hmm. kind of what this is an expo. They have hundreds of vendors mm -hmm. and yeah, lots we're, of we're connected with GBR, and that's one of the reasons that Dr. Naylor is coming to our meeting because she's the coordinator of that for IMB. Yeah. I just wish that kind of thing was better known. Well, it's brand new. That's it's brand new. It's it's going to be in Richmond. If you look, I don't know that. I think it's next February, maybe. But if you look on the website for GBR, you will see uh, the next one that they're having. They also have a E2 M2. It's an equipping um, event for people who want to go on medical mission trips, and they're primarily they're not all medical, but that's her bent, is, is to have the medical teams go. It's just so important for our, especially our Baptist students, mm -hmm. that we as Baptists do, do that. That's right, because there are other, I mean, there are lots of folks who do medical missions. There's Doctors Without Borders and others, but we want to go in a place where we share the truth of the gospel in the way that we know is the right way, and to work with our missionaries to work with our missionaries who we're supporting and to help our students understand that that can be not just, um, missions isn't just an event you do occasionally, it's a lifestyle. And that integrating faith, I'm so excited we're having that because that's very important. Our next theme will be um, Touch Twice with a, a scripture from Mark, I don't remember the exact location, but it is about going and telling and healing because we don't do one without the other.
anything else. But sort of a bit opposite of what you're talking about camp. So our church has put in their bylaws that um, you know any children's event or camp, you know, they have to take a nurse. So I'm a pediatric nurse, so mm-hmm. <laughs> I makes sense. Up to go. Yes. <laughs> so as far as forms, because our children's ministry has just exploded, so we have all these kids on all these, you know, adult. All these, mm. and I don't have like set forms to say, you know, when I get a count of Adderall, or mm-hmm. you know, is there any resources where yeah, I can sure there go are to get forms? We're a member of the American Camping Association, so there mm. are strict guidelines on medical forms and what we have to use. Okay. And mm-hmm. So I'll connect you to Karen, and she that would be good that. because yeah. you know, just to cover. Because I always, you know have coverage, you know, I don't worry about my job, but when I go out mm-hmm. and put myself as their nurse going on a mm. trip, you know, they're putting their kids, you know, right. and I want to make sure that I'm covered. Right. Yeah. yeah, if you have the same form that they use at camp, I'm sure it's the same the one that we use from the, the that organization. That should cover you completely. It's just getting them to fill it out completely. Right. Yeah, that's the hard part requires that follow-up to say all right you said you said here she has breathing problems what does that really mean yes and of course the children's story sometimes at camp is entirely different than what the parents have said and then you have the ones who are foster children coming and you have the children who are uh, grandchildren coming and there's lots of different takes on what they take right I just need like a a good form to keep everything and the camping organization has a website that should have the forms that are downloadable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Karen will be a great resource for that. Anything else? The last thing I just want to let you all know, Debbie's written two books. Um, she's written Hold On, Finding Peace and Reward When God Had us, Has Us Waiting on Him, and then Secrets to Surrender, Living Wholeheartedly, talking about just the, the, serv- the sacrifice and surrender that goes along with service. So um, I'll have these for sale if you want one. They're $10 each. So just make those available. Can we pray together? You knew before we were even born, Lord, that you would call us to be your, your medical providers, nurses, who love you first, who love our families, and love the people of the world that, your son Jesus gave his life for. Thank you for equipping us, Lord, with knowledge and abilities that are specialized so that we can use them in special circumstances. And that you even created all the stories in Scripture that we can tell as we work with patients. You've given us a word, and you'll give us those experiences, Lord, in places that we can share them. I pray for each of the women here, Lord, that they will have a desire to go deeper into missions, to form together, to impact lives, lives of nurses just beginning their careers, nurses who are in the midst of it, nurses who have finished with that professional time, Lord, but now in retirement have the time to serve you. So I pray, God, that you would bless each one and guide them in their way. And we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.